Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. And today I have a decidedly interesting guest, both from the perspective of Americans abroad and for residents of the United States in Ohio. It is my distinct honor and privilege to introduce to you Craig Swartz, who is the candidate for the Democratic Party in the Ohio 5th District. And all of you know that there is, in fact, an election coming up in a couple of weeks. So this will be an enormously interesting conversation. So, Craig, if I may call you Craig. Yes, you may. Thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing real well. Well, you look very relaxed, given that the election's only a couple of weeks away. What is it you're feeling, thinking? Well, we're excited, obviously. Um, going into this race we, with eyes open, we knew that it was going to be a tough uh, sell in this part of Ohio. Uh, for your uh, listeners and viewers out there, uh, Northwest Ohio District 5 is comprised of 12 counties running from just west of Cleveland in Lorraine County and then going all the way to the Indiana border. And I won't go through all the counties, but it's a, it's a sizable district. And uh, my home county, Wyandotte, is smack dab in the middle, so I can get these either side about an hour and a half, hour 45. But I've had fun in, uh, this, during this uh, stretch. Um, it is a very historical time to be running for office, obviously, with all of the uh, the news uh, that's been coming at us with the, with the inflation, the economy, women's rights, uh war in Ukraine. I mean, there's a number of really, really uh, you know, important issues, and I, and I really feel privileged at this time to, to be uh, running for public office. Well, that's that's great. And, and you know, if I may say that uh, win, lose, or draw, as somebody who's always uh, had an interest in politics, and I know a lot of people have, and I've actually run as an independent myself from time to time, I, you know, win or lose is a huge contribution to society have a democratic process because it allows you to shape the debate which is critically important so i thank you for that and i think a lot of other people will as well um so tell me uh, you know most people are unwilling to uh risk damage uh that comes from throwing your head in the ring for an endeavor like this uh how'd you how'd you get here well, it's it's been a long time coming, uh, John. I've always wanted a soapbox to express myself uh, for the views that I've been building up over a lifetime of experience you know, for my overseas travels and stays in several different countries and to my travels across this country, you know, working as a truck driver and learning you know, what other states were doing. So it's been something inside me to try to in part to others, some of the life lessons I've learned and the things that I've seen uh, around the world and how we could be doing so much better here, particularly in Ohio. Um, we have a tendency to reinvent the wheel so many times and, do, and where if we just looked at what others were doing and emulate those, those best practices, we could be just so much better off. And so it's always been a lifelong ambition of my own, you know, myself to, to get to this point in my life. And after a number, I mean, I've, I've got a 250 batting average, I like to say. I won one election and I've lost the next three. So I, I think I'm due for another hit here. 
but it's something I, I, I've been trying to get across this message um, that there are alternatives out there. And in this part of Ohio, they haven't heard an alternative message in quite a long time. They need to. Well, would you agree with me if I were to say that, uh, that you know, there seems to be a huge disconnect between people's perception of the political process and democracy and their personal circumstances? Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that worldwide, I mean, we're seeing a situation where, uh, you know, politics has become just sort of a playground for one party versus another and the casualties are the individual voters. Uh, or do you think I'm carrying it too far? No, 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 you're not. Actually, I mean, one of the benefits of having a campaign is disperses this, you know, in terms of the geography, uh, is you're coming across so many different walks of life all the time. And uh, more often than not, I get people in this, especially in rural uh, Ohio, and I think you can you, you can exemplify this across the country in all part, parts of our rural uh, America. These people have been left behind. They've been ignored for so long and for decades. And I saw this happening firsthand. I mean, you're know, growing up and you know, as I said, I was traveling during the you know, working in D.C. in the 80s, living abroad, mostly in the 90s. But I was seeing what was happening, particularly with NAFTA, which I was very much against. And some of the policies of the United States, the, you know, the, and on, you know, the, obviously the uh, unending wars, the proliferation of our bases, our military, at the expense of our domestic tranquility. We, we were outsourcing all our jobs, the co communities that I got to know here in the last 20 years in Northwest Ohio, where the I saw firsthand how the ties that bind a community together just started unraveling when they lost their economic drivers. So the machine tool shops, the factories, the union, union wages, these people stopped charity, you know, the charitable donations, the boosterism, all of the shopping locally, all of these things started evaporating right before our eyes. And so this anger and discontent's been building for quite some time. And so could, you know, consequently, I understand why somebody like a Trump comes along and steals the show. Mm -hmm. Because these people were so mad at both mainstream parties. I got mad. I got oh, mad. I, I, I fully <laughs> understand it. I fully understand it, too. I mean, I think that this is a huge problem. I mean, not only, I mean, you're entrenched in Ohio, so you see this stuff 95% probably from a resident American perspective. I see it a little more you know, averaged out, but I mean, this is a problem. This is definitely a problem worldwide. So, so to some extent, your your campaign is is based on uh, you know trying to make connections with these people and let them know they're being. That there's at least somebody out there who gets it. Yep. And uh, it has ideas, and it has, it has ideas on how to move forward. So I don't just sit there and complain. Yeah. Well, you I, know, yeah. reading your website and, and chatting with you before we hit the record button today, you know, it struck me, you know, I was looking at your your story is I've never seen a guy with such a wide variety of jobs. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's absolutely it's absolutely incredible to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've done it all. Ditch digging to fast food, to uh, driving a truck, investment banking. Yeah, I'm a realtor now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've done more jobs than the guy on TV. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all it's amazing stuff. I mean, it, it shows that 
you know, you got a tremendous degree of flexibility. Who was it that said that the people who survive are not necessarily the smartest, but the ones who are the most adaptable to change? Yeah. See, and, that's what, and that's what travel does for you. That's why, you know, that's, I would love to have some, some kind of program where you get the youngsters out of the United States and start traveling the world and say, you, you revive that Peace Corps, you revive that community service where they see and, and live abroad and get that experience and that helps them reflect back. It's like, hey, how important it is back here to keep preserving what we have. Sure. Well, so you, I mean, you had a, a good part of your career has been uh, abroad. Could you share a bit of that with me? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, as I said before, that my first uh, venture overseas, uh, I studied foreign languages in college uh, and in high school, obviously Spanish and Italian, and I did that route and then uh, just jumped on a plane and landed in Europe. Uh, I had relatives in Rome. I stayed with them for a few weeks, got my Italian a little bit better, and then uh, made my way up to uh, Germany to seek out uh, this other contact. I, that's where I ended up in Munich for 10 months, not knowing the language, but um, and it's in that shot that I ended up in Munich, there's about 40 of us, no English. So this this concept of sometimes Americans have like, oh, everybody in Germany speaks English. Like, well, yeah, some do, <laughs> but it depends on where you end up. And um, I ended not up- Not even in the big cities today. Yeah, so it's, um, uh, an English friend of mine, uh, David, uh, got me a grammar book, and a, you know, a, a translation book. I think it was pre-war because it kept referring to the fatherland throughout every other page. Um, but, um, yeah, I used that to, uh, to pick up on the language. And, but I was made legal in one month. You know, after a month stay there, I was an illegal worker. And at that time, that was a severe fine for that company if they, if they were caught out with an illegal worker. A $25,000 fine. Pretty stiff, and uh, but the, the, you know they wrote a sponsorship letter for me, and uh, I was made legal in two days. So to work as long as I wanted, and that enabled me to say, as I said, save up enough money. I ended up in Paris, studied uh, international relations in Paris for a year, came back. So that. So that, this, was, this was a master's yeah. program in international. Yeah, it was a master's program. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this: so we're talking the. Uh, uh, the 80s, right, at this point, or sometime in the 80s. 1982, yeah. What did international relations do in the context of a master's degree in 1982? Well, I mean, at that, you know, in that place, that context, we're studying, you think about what was going on at that time uh, with uh, Reagan and the threat of uh, you know, that really accelerated Cold War. When I was in Munich, for instance, I had an escape plan um, you know, from Munich to get down to Switzerland. I figured out how I was going to do it uh, because it, it, he was really threatening. He was doing a lot of uh, saber rattling at the time, and the Europeans uh, were quite nervous. So, uh, international relations at the time was a, was a, was was a pretty hot. Uh, topic. Uh, everybody, you know, I had students from all over the world. It was a great perspective to see what was going on in Asia and Africa, uh, not just in Europe, and uh, to, to have those experiences. I was uh, elected class president during that time period mm -hmm. and, uh, and organized uh, several tours 
uh, with the school. They had never done this before. And I was the principal behind organizing these uh, bus tours and taking them to Heidelberg and uh, into wine country, champagne country, and the factories in, the, in France and over on to the Brittany Coast. So uh, it was, you know, a very rewarding experience. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds very, very interesting. All right. And so then you, so, you know, with that in your back pocket, uh, that experience abroad, you're returning to Washington next, correct? We went back to Columbus and uh, where I met my wife, a future wife, and uh, we were married in 85 and I ended up in D.C. in 85. And I I found a job in downtown D.C. Uh, working for an international law firm. And this is all on, on the job training. They don't teach you this in school or anything. They were just looking for college graduates to do some grinding work, paralegal work. And this one uh, specialized in international tax. So I learned firsthand how to start setting up offshore structures, primarily in the Netherlands, the Netherlands Antilles, but by a tax treaty uh, that was in existence at the time, Luxembourg, Liechtenstein, Cayman Islands. Oh my God. Did you realize that you were describing things that are presumptively finable now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was all legit. I mean, that's the existing tax code at the time. Uh, we could set up these foreign structures. We could uh, have foreign ownership of uh, underlying U.S. stocks and real estate. And on kind of sale of uh, those assets, you can get them out literally tax-free by the U.S. tax code. So my boss was one of those high-paid Washington, D.C. lawyers, 400 bucks an hour. And, uh, 400 bucks an hour. 400 bucks an hour in 1980s. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be higher now, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, these guys just basically ate, slept, and drank U.S. tax code 24-7 and, and, and devised these schemes. And uh, and they're you know, they like said legit structures. We would get IRS tax rulings. That was part of my job actually was to go down trace down to the IRS and uh, await the rulings. Interesting. And so now this uh, eventually led you to Bahrain, correct? Uh, Bahrain, that's right. Yeah, oh, Manama. Yeah, the Invest Corp. They were looking to uh, to bring somebody like me uh, in house. Uh, that's a Bahrain company, right? This is a Bahrain bank. Uh, Invest Corp was one of the principal investment banks in uh, the uh, Arabian Gulf at the time. It was began in 1983 by a series of ex Chase executives who saw a better way of getting higher returns for their customers. See, at that time, the Arabs had all this oil money, and they were just getting maybe you know, single percentage points return on their money. They would just give it to the big banks and say, hey, here, you take it. I've got it in my mattress. I don't know what else to do with it. And my bosses figured out how to take that money and act as a bridge between Arab capital and Western markets. And based on, you know, complex tax structures, get that money back to their investors at double digit returns. And we were the white knight in many cases. So Tiffany's, Carvel Ice Cream, Saks Fifth Avenue, Gucci. These are a handful of the, the companies that we bought and sold during that time period when I was there. And I actually, in the 80s, yeah, I was structuring uh, you know, some of those deals even before I joined the, uh, the bank. But the um, that's how Corp works. It works to this day. Um, it's, it's, it's grown uh, quite substantially. It's one of the premier investment banks uh, in the Middle East, very reputable. And I uh, spent a uh, good, you know, portion of my 90s there. 
Okay, so you're there working uh, presumably as a team with people of a whole bunch of different nationalities, I would guess, right? Everywhere. So Asian, Australian, uh, you know, UK, French, everybody. And you're being employed by the Bahrain uh, company, bank, what have you. So you're your 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 income is is non U.S. source, right? Non U.S. source, that's right. And and you, of course, uh, of all of your friends and associates, are the only ones who are being taxed by another country on that income. So Bahrain had no income tax, right? Tax free. Correct. That's right. Bahrain was a tax free jurisdiction. Um, it benefited largely Bahrain's financial status improved greatly after the fall of Beirut. So the Arab institutions at the time you know, had, uh, were mostly centered around that financial capital. And when Beirut went down, uh, a number of other capitals like Dubai and um, Bahrain stood to uh, benefit greatly. It's Bahrain that benefited the most because of its strict financial structure. It's very strong uh, central uh, banking system there. And now Dubai has since caught up, I believe, but Bahrain was the leader in many respects. It was a sound financial banking system, very well respected, and it had the infrastructure. Um, and as I as pointed out, I not only did a lot of these offshore structures, but uh, I became the, um, the records manager for uh, Bahrain, New York, and uh, London. You've got that document retention policy put in place two years prior. So, so you were the guy who kept them legal, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Brought them into Western, a lot of Western institutions. Uh, I wrote also a corporate governance book for the board of directors and for the uh, key officers. Wow, very, very interesting. All right, so you're there through the 90s. Uh, now, your intention was always to return to the United States at some point, right? Yes, but um, during my uh, stay there, uh, we... Uh, we're becoming aware that my son was possibly on the autistic spectrum. He would later be diagnosed uh, as being on the spectrum. And uh, so uh, I approached the, the bank, said, you know, we were kind of in a situation here where we don't have the resources in Bahrain to care for his needs. Now, the bank wanted me to stay in Bahrain. I was, as I said, uh, on the fast track to uh, manage that office from an administrative standpoint. And uh, they were uh, approached the Department of Defense School at the time and uh, made the offer to have an aide, uh, you, know, you know, a special ed person trained in autism to come over, all expenses paid, and, uh, and uh, help uh, educate my son within their system. Uh, we were rejected. And uh, based on that rejection, uh, I decided to uh, end my stay there and return to the United States. So, so this was uh, from the U.S., Somebody was going to be paid from the U.S. to come over. Yeah, they, well, yeah, the bank was going to pay all expenses for for somebody to go over there and, and help us out, so I could stay there. Yeah, I mean that. Well, I mean that's a huge indication of uh, you know how much they valued you. It's also you know I think evidence that uh, it's important for American citizens to be able to you know function outside the United States in these capacities. So. That was that did not ultimately work out, and my understanding is that you returned to the United States principally to solve that problem. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So you left. In, you left in what ninety eight? 
Yeah, 98, we settled in uh, Connecticut, and I uh, commuted to New York uh, for a year. That was fun. And uh, I take that morning train <laughs> out of Connecticut about 50 miles. double taxation? I'm sorry? That's objected any double taxation. There are problems with people who, you know, work in New York and live in Connecticut on certain double taxation. Oh, it, yeah. Yeah, there, there probably was. Uh, I can't, yeah, because I think, the, I can't remember who was doing my tax returns at that time. I think I was still using a, a, um, an accounting firm to do it. I usually do my own, but I, uh, nowadays I do my own. But so <laughs> I can't, I can't remember. I'm sure I was subject to a lot of double, double things going on at that point. Um, but, you know, when you came back, right? So one yeah. of the things, you know, leaving aside, um, not not diminishing the importance, but just for this discussion, leaving aside the incredible, enriching personal experience and all that. Um, what it, what these experiences abroad have done is made you aware of the you know the complexity and the reality of the U.S. extraterritorial tax regime, right? That's right. And unbeknownst to me, you know, at that time it was relatively. Simple. So, as you know, the tax free jurisdiction, uh, I, I had still had a report, a file return, regardless of whether or not I owe taxes or not. So, nobody else, no other nationality was undergoing that. And that's what was relatively simple. You did owe simple. taxes. You did owe taxes, clear, I think, I think, didn't you? Or, or, no, or no? Well, you certainly had the potential to owe taxes, but Bahrain was a tax free jurisdiction. Right, right. But no, it, but because, you know, obviously some of the incentive packages I was paid and everything took me over. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, yeah okay, the thresholds. So, um, and, 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 you know, obviously it goes without saying, when you are working in the Arabian Gulf between two Gulf Wars, it is considered a high-risk area. So there, there, there are incentives, you know, the packages, you know, for Americans willing to do this uh, in a non military, you know, uh, not American way. I mean, you're working for an international institution, but they still recognize that. And uh, the... Um, when you were there, okay, so two things. Uh, one, when you were there, you were not, um, as many Americans abroad are, uh, faced with the problem of having to negotiate with uh, a tax system in another country and do your retirement planning and that sort of stuff in accordance with their tax system. Like you were, you know, it was a horrible thing, no question about it, but at least you were restricted to the U.S. tax side of it, not, not another tax side. Yeah. The only time I was ever uh, uh, in that situation was when I lived in London for a couple of years and you're having to you know, negotiate between the two tax systems and, and uh, make sure that you're, you're getting, um, let's say, due process on the, on the reciprocity uh, that you're not out of pocket. Um, so that was a bit cumbersome. Did you understand uh, it, or did you just? Oh, no, I just, no, no, I, you know, <laughs> doing the international tax, you get pretty well versed in, in, yeah. in the codes. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's cumbersome nonetheless. It really, I thought, felt restrictive in Bahrain. Because at that point, after a number of years living abroad, you really get that sense of being more of a citizen of the world. And you're losing, you know, and it's not that you don't lose your, I've never lost, obviously, you know, my respect and, and my and, and what I have, for, you know, the, the gratitude I have you know, being brought up in America. Um, but at that point, it's like, hey, this is a life choice I'm making. I'm moving on. And it, even at that time during the 90s, it was a bit 
restraining. You know, it's like, oh, all right, I got to keep checking in. I got to keep checking in. No other nationalities had to do that. And then um, now, as I said before, when I was starting in the late 90s, bringing in a lot of those new treasury forms and having our clients have to be more scrutinized as a result of the international terrorism and the international financial uh, scandals that were going on, uh, the Treasury Department was really, really, you know, putting the screws on foreign, um, you know, bank accounts. You know, know your customer, where you know, the source of funds and things like that that we had to report on. So you kind of <laughs> see what was coming. I saw it was coming. I saw exactly saw it was coming. And now, uh, again, unbeknownst to me, I'm here in Northwest Ohio during that period of 2010 and everything else. Uh, during the Obama administration, uh, I did not know about FATCA. They did not see some of these things that were, you know, being having uh, uh, to be put upon uh, Americans abroad. Which uh, it, now that it, it and this spring, when I was on the Democrats abroad, uh, uh, you know, webinars, uh, Zoom calls, I was already made at that point aware of FACA. You know, so this is not something that uh, it's just come to light for me. It's uh, you know, I've been looking at it for a little, at least during this campaign season. I have been actually studying this quite, quite a lot and uh, sympathize. You know, on that note, let me ask you a question, okay? Um, you know, of course, I learned about you, you know, through Twitter, and that was the vehicle through which we got into contact. But I'd like you to, I would like to ask you about a tweet that you're proposing as a solution here. Uh, that tweet is uh, Craig Schwartz for Ohio. Um, in the context of some kind of law to change this, I think you're saying, I think I know what the overall goal of the bill would be, immediate overhaul of FATCA, introducing designation of non-resident citizen, and cessation of IRS bank oversight for non-residents. Does that, I mean, I, I do appreciate it came from you, but I mean, let's start off with, I mean, is that, is that your position that you want to, that you would confirm? Yeah, because just doing it on a cursory review of some of the um, issues that are coming uh, along with this, uh, this legislation, this law, um, that is something I think that can be uh, actually quite, quite simply done. We are in a situation, John, right now, this has been going on actually for 10 to 15 years with respect to the IRS, and some of it's deliberate, is deliberate, excuse me, I thought I'd silence that, um, the decimation of the IRS, they have been cutting the funds of this department for years, and shrinking it by attrition and just by just you know, not replenishing these these ranks and having this situation where i'm getting to is we're having this situation where the irs is devoting considerable amounts of resources to go after americans abroad <laughs> when what you're what you should be doing is bringing those resources back here and go and get the real bad guys the real tax evaders and the, Consequently, this is why the Republicans are fighting the inflation reduction or trying to fight that Reflation Reduction Act because Biden actually is on the right track. You've got to get the IRS back to what it should be doing and going after the people that should be. And so you know, with respect to FATCA, I would right away say, man, let's, oh, let's just pull right back right now. 
you're going, you're targeting the wrong people. And uh, that that's pretty much the overall thrust of what you know, where I'm coming from. And coordinate that with a the stronger domestic effort to help uh, taxpayer services here. The part of that decimation of the IRS has really besieged. I mean, tax preparers were singing the praises of the Inflation Reduction Act. They said, "Thank God, somebody's going to answer the phone at the IRS now." Well, yeah, certainly, certainly helpful for the tax preparers. Okay, yeah. So, Go ahead. So I'm. I think I'm understanding you say. Okay, but please clarify. I think what I'm understanding you say is that whatever fact it is or isn't. It shouldn't be applied applied to American citizens who legitimately live outside the United States as tax residents of other countries. And nor should it be going after those Americans that are accidental by birth. Now, I did last night pour over a couple of the articles that were forwarded to me from some of the Twitter followers uh, that were following along that discussion, and that and that was pretty eye opening um, as well. So it's it's again it's a misallocation of resources uh, i simply see it as that is get stop doing it there bring it here and you're actually going to get more benefit uh by going after the people that can afford the thousand dollar an hour tax attorney that can give them out of you know you know six seven figures so the you know the whole to use the phrase accidental americans these are just uh, these are people who are legally american citizens with no connection to the united states basically since they were kids but so uh, you know so i mean it may include a lot more people than you know the the usual you know brought over in diapers sort of thing right but yeah. um the reason for this is that the U.S. is really the only country, sure, you can throw an air tray if you want, but really the only major country that defines tax residency in terms of citizenship and citizenship alone. The, you know, fact is a problem. These other things are a problem. They're more symptoms, I think, of the problem citizenship taxation. So, I mean, let me ask you directly. Uh, in addition to your position that FACA shouldn't apply, you know, which is a reporting thing to Americans abroad, would you be in favor of ending citizenship taxation per se? Yes. Yes, because you just be responsible for where you are. So if you're fortunate to live in a tax-free jurisdiction, hey, good. There's probably a reason why it's tax-free. <laughs> it's like in my case in the, in the Arabian Gulf, you know, in order to entice people to stay there in a high risk environment, you know, th that was part of the uh, the trade off, and well, it worked yeah, out. I mean, you know, and, and, but if you you know, but more often than not, you know, you were if you're living in New Zealand, or Australia, and uh, UK, you know, Germany, you're paying taxes. You're paying your share. You're paying to, to, towards the local taxation. You're paying very high taxes in all these first world democracies. No question. And, you know, I think arguably for the ones who, you know, the countries where they don't have income taxation, it also comes with a loss of services that you have to pay for yourself anyway. I mean, you know, there you go. Yeah, it's you know, a trade-off. It is. fundamentally about who pays for things, right? Not, you know, whether these things exist, I suppose. Yeah. All right. So... So I think it's it's good to know. Uh, I mean, if you've been on a call with Democrats abroad and you've been engaging on Twitter, it's fairly obvious that you understand that this is a very, very, very big problem. Not just a Sunday afternoon, think about it, okay, but a very big problem. 
for a lot of American citizens who live outside the United States, and particularly uh, for those who are, you know, enmeshed in the tax systems of other countries and have to do their retirement and financial planning in those other countries. Um, and, you know, I think that I would be correct in saying that the, you know, certainly the people I've seen on Twitter, but the community of Americans abroad in general, you know, are very thankful for your, your understanding of this, your knowledge of this, and hopefully your willingness to assist with making this an issue, well, making it an issue at all. I mean, why is it not an issue at all? You know, you had another interesting tweet, if I may, if I, if I can even find it. Uh, you know, I think it was something about, uh, you know, just not on the radar. Uh, no, it's not. They don't care. They don't understand. Or how did you put it? They don't care. They don't send, They don't tend to care. Um, it's out of sight, out of mind. I tend to wonder sometimes what happens when congressional rep, uh, representatives do go overseas on these fact-finding trips, are they not talking to, to Americans? No, they're not. About this issue? And that's that's, that's what begs the question. So it's a, it's a really sight unseen, and uh, there's no constituency there. Uh, there's nothing to be gained, and that's why they don't think about it. And whereas it's, it's, it's a disaster. You know, I always look at it from this standpoint. You want Americans abroad. You want, these are your unofficial ambassadors representing your country. You know, when I was in Germany and the UK, and, 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 and especially in Bahrain, man, I, I had these foreigners come up to me you know, for all these different nationalities. Man, where are you from again? I said, Ohio. You know, when they got this image of the United States, it's either, you know, New York or, you know, the two Disneylands. You know, there's nothing in between. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it's, it's, the, Especially in Germany, I think I, they, 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 they admire my work ethic. Um, they show I didn't miss a day. I was there for a job. I was there to earn that living. And this is something that I, I spoke to you before briefly, uh, off, you know, off camera before, before recording, John, that you really learn when you work, work abroad, you learn the power of immigration. No and you, can, you, you see it, and and this is why uh, the message that I've been trying to preach back here to people that our immigration policy in the United States is is abhorrent. We should be recognizing the dignity of these people, the sacrifices that they've made, the thousands that cross mountains, oceans, and deserts to better themselves. And in, in metal, especially in the Middle East, where I saw them working in 120, 130 degree heat to build those buildings in Dubai and Manam and Riyadh and um, remit that money back home to help their families. You know, this is the greatest foreign aid program you got going worldwide. I think you're right. And there's, you know, there's no question that for the most part, immigrants are really the, you know, the best part of society. I mean, that's that's the reality. You see this in immigration policies all around the world. I mean, you know, look at, well, I live in Canada, so you know, I'm aware of Canada immigration. I mean, you know, nobody walks into Canada unless they're, you know, going to be a clear benefit to the country, et cetera. But I think, I think that is, you know, I think that is absolutely true. Now, let me ask you this. Um, what do you think can or should be done 
to somehow get this issue of Americans abroad into the, shall I use the phrase, congressional consciousness. I got to get elected. <laughs> I got to get elected. No, I mean, it, it's, we, you just, I, yeah, I mean, short of you have to get a hold of a Congress, you elected official and, uh, and keep shouting to the rooftops if you can. But um, it's, it's see it from the standpoint that where I've seen it, where you, like I said, getting back to that whole idea of unofficial ambassadors abroad and having Americans achieve a good lifestyle without being, you know, restricted, unduly restricted. Uh, this reporting that has to go on, uh, you know, the holding back of, uh, of people's lives. Yeah, oh, it's a huge problem. Well, I mean, many of them are just saying yeah. It's, it's got to be brought to light, and 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 I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, I want to. You know, hopefully, uh, I get to that position. That's. I mean, you know, many of them are just throwing up their hands and, and renouncing their U.S. citizenship. But you know, as I as I and, and, and you don't want that. I mean, that's crazy. And then they they raise the fee. Yeah, they raise the fee. Well, the if you renounce your citizenship, if they renounce the citizenship, then you have to, um, if you want to keep, let's say, in that one in that Kiwi example I saw, uh, now it's $2,000 per child. I don't know. Uh, There's something outrageous. I'm not sure. We talked about that article on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, it's, so, it's like well, in, in, order well, to save, yeah, in order to save the dual citizenship, you've got to pay the U.S. government. Well, the, yeah, I mean, that is, there are many contexts where that is true. I don't, I don't know about the actually that article, but there's no yeah. question that the U.S. citizenship makes it impossible to integrate into the tax base of other countries. And, you know, these people aren't renouncing citizenship because they want to, and they're not renouncing citizenship because of, you know, any particular dislike of the United States or even a disagreement, you know, with it politically. They're renouncing because they're simply forced to renounce <laughs> and this is just total madness. It's crazy. But you know, Craig, well, here's something that strikes me about this. I mean, having been a student of this for you know quite a while, actually a permanent student of it. Okay, so complicated as you know that you know life is in this is nothing but a continual learning curve. But it really seems to me that this whole issue should be of real interest to resident Americans because what it really means is all of a sudden they can't leave the country. You know, it's like a regular, you know, it's like a fiscal prison that's been created, you know, through a bunch of regulations. And you know, I would have to think that, you know, Americans would, would want the freedom of being able to visit abroad, work abroad pursue careers, represent their country abroad, you know, and for their children. And, yeah. you know, as I look at the evolution of this stuff, I think that all resident Americans, if they continue the way they are, all they need do to see their future is to see how the U.S. government treats Americans abroad. You know, you look at a, a bunch of things in the, you know, the Biden Green Book and that, and I swear to God, some of these tax proposals that were just deemed to be so offensive are exactly what are being imposed on imposed on Americans abroad today. I mean, what's the, you know, the well? Certainly, yeah, certainly, yeah, certainly the you know, the reporting of your assets in the bank accounts. Oh, we don't get that kind of scrutiny here. That's right. So, it is certainly from that standpoint, yeah, th this needs to be brought to to current uh, representatives' attention. Um, 
And I mean, I, I do what I can, you know, and I'll do what I can uh, you know, to, to obviously to, to do everything I can to get elected, you know, get in there first and foremost is obviously is, is uh, what's on our minds and everything. But yeah. Well, I think you know, I get it. I get I mean, Yeah. You're an ideal person because you've kind of uh, walked the talk, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you've been over to something. I'm just, I'm so impressed with your, you know, the variety of the jobs you've done. Just as a bit of an aside, you know what it reminds me of? I, I often think in terms of literature, music and stuff, but there's this old uh, song. Um, it's called Keith Hampshire, Big Time Operator. Have you ever heard that song? You and I are sort of the same vintage, so you might know. Google big time operators, a guy with all these different jobs. It reminds me of you a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just in terms of the variety of, of uh, you know, of life experiences and stuff. And I think that, you know, to really kind of, you know, get this moving, I think, uh, you know, somebody who's required, who's had, you know, has had these kinds of life experiences. So, uh, well, getting back to why you, you, why I'm running for Congress is, when I ran for the other offices, I could not bring my international experience to the fore. And the congressional soapbox has allowed me to bring these other experiences now out and talk about these issues, like, you know, the foreign affairs, the international relations, what we could be doing, defense policy, all of the, all of the different things, immigration. And now, you know, I, you know th certainly this issue you know, with the foreign taxation, you know, the, for you know, the foreign compliance it's just, I mean, I was, that's what I was. I was a compliance officer, uh, you know, for the bank. You were uh, a compliance it, officer, my friend, when it was easy. When it was easy, it was easy. And now, I mean, I can, I can, I can, uh, because I've, I've done it. And like you said, walk the talk. And I see exactly what's going on here. And it's, 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 it's exorbitant. It's, it's. Uh, it really, really is something. You know, there is, um. Uh, such a thing as it's called the Americans Abroad Caucus, and it was headed up by a representative, Carolyn Maloney, who, well, will not be, uh, his career is, is ended. But, uh, you know, if you're elected, I, I certainly would encourage you to pursue that because, you know, you're an, you're an ideal guy for this. I mean, you know, you know something about it. I mean, it's not just some annoying abstraction for you. I mean, you know, it's got some reality. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, in in that regard, I mean, if uh, I I know it's uh, it's Americans, I don't, I don't know how it works, but in terms of uh, campaign contributions, if I could put an ask in here, if if you have friends in the United States that can still contribute, <laughs> I ask them to do go to my website and help us out here. In the last couple of weeks, we're doing a massive texting campaign aimed at independents of Republicans. I have an All American Tax Act. Uh, idea. Let me bounce this off you, John. All American Tax Act. It would be the first kind of tax act of this nature in the history of this country, whereby the first $36,000 of everyone's income, including retirees, would be federally tax-free. I saw that. that. I saw. You know what it reminded me of a bit was the, uh, are you familiar with this H.R. 25, the fair tax? Uh, the fair tax is essentially replacing the income tax with the national sales tax. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, you might you might find it interesting to talk to those people. But I do. I but I'll tell you this. Okay, without knowing a lot about it, what is very very clear is that taxation rules regulations takes up too big a part of people's lives. 
All right, way too much. And for that reason, it's got to be dramatically pared back. It's got to be something where people, people even understand what's required of them. I mean, as it stands right now, it's gotten so complex that I think the Internal Revenue Code has effectively replaced the U.S. Constitution. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, right? And, oh, yeah. And if yes. most Americans feel that, I mean, they ain't seen nothing compared to the regime that, you know, Americans abroad are trying to survive. Correct. Yeah, this, this whole idea, of, I, I always go back to smart taxation policies. Now, I think it has an example of smart taxation policies was what we were doing in the 80s and 90s by bringing foreign capital in for white knight purposes. Take, take. We took companies that were failing and we turned them around and made it productive. We saved jobs. So if in exchange, if you're giving a, a 10 to 15 per, percent return back to that investor who brought in hundreds of millions of dollars to save those jobs, those local jobs across the country, in my book, that works. The other way you have smart taxation is, is get rid of the trickle-down crap, which all these regular tax cuts do. The 2017 is a prime example of that. You know, it's littered with tax loopholes uh, you know, for the for the rich guys. It also and, destroyed uh, Americans abroad. It destroyed Americans abroad because it introduced things like the guilty. It was just unbelievable. It was an unbelievable assault. Uh, you know, it was you know, it's just it was just like. You know, it was already terrible, you know, gasoline poured all over the house, so to speak. And then that thing just threw a match. Right. Yeah. And, and, there, and that's another case in point about how they you have no constituency abroad. So those guys wrote that in there and, and not carrying one, one iota about uh, Americans, uh, yeah. residents and, you know, living abroad. So, you know, that's where I'm going to pay for my tax cut because I want that money to be going up from the bottom. Coming up from the bottom up and helping the people that need it the most. It's not no more of this trickle-down crap. You got it. so smart taxation policies are generating the revenue this way, going up, and these people are gonna need it to pay their bills, the gas, the food, the rent, energy. Sure, sure. Bring up income, absolutely. That gets spent and you know generates more. Yeah, I mean, well, let me let me put it this way. I do not know what the answers are. But what I do know is that a very, very significant component of everyday Americans, Canadians, Brits, what have you, are really, really suffering. And whatever these tax policies are to be, they have to recognize that this is going on and find a way to alleviate that. So the taxation is in the background as much as necessary, and it does not play the extraordinary role that it does today in impeding people to pursue their lives and their dreams. Yeah. Yeah, well, well said. This has been a, a great conversation, and uh, I really appreciate it. And I don't want to take up too much of your time because, you know, you've got, you've got this election coming up. Uh, but in closing, uh, I wonder if you direct a message to the community of Americans abroad, uh, including, you know, how they can help help you. Well, the message is very simple. Uh, it, try to support me in any which way you can. I do hear you. Uh, I've been aware of this problem for some time. I lived it. Uh, and uh, I really do want to see more Americans 
get that opportunity to live abroad, to experience what I was able to experience. It's such an eye-opening and uh, life-altering experience, as many of you are aware, and how we could really be benefiting our country by acting as as representatives. Even though you're residents abroad and you've been living there and and probably enjoyed a higher standard of living than some of us here, but it's it's a great thing, and and I wish that more Americans had an opportunity, um, you know, to uh, to learn about the world and see how we can all make it a better place. You can support and me, and you would agree that you know to the extent that Americans abroad benefit, resident Americans benefit too, right? Yeah, yeah. What's your website again? It's SwartzforOhio.com, S-W-A-R-T-Z-F-O-R, Ohio.com. So if you know folks back here in the United States that uh, are, you know, can uh, help help me out and spare a dime in these last couple of weeks, we actually have an opportunity to pull a rabbit out of a hat in a very gerrymandered district. So and, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know anything, about, it's a tough race, I assume. It's a tough race. It's a tough race. This is a trench. This is an entrenched incumbent. The, uh, his father held the seat for thirty years. He inherited. Oh my God! Yeah, that's one of those. The reason for him to go. Yeah, it's not, it's one of those, and and especially in an area that believes in term limits. This guy has never held a town hall meeting precisely for that reason because he's afraid his constituents are going to show up and say, "Hey, get out, Bob." <laughs> <laughs> Well, Craig, this has been fantastic, and I really appreciate the kind. No, thank you for the opportunity, John. And uh, getting to know you a little bit, and then I wish you all. I'm not going to wish you luck because I'm not a believer in luck, but I will wish you uh, the energy, the focus, and all the things that you need to succeed. And I hope that uh, I hope you get some response here from the community of Americans abroad. So thank, thank you all. Yeah. What you do when you get off this call is go to YouTube, Big Time Operator. Okay. <laughs> all right. Hopefully we'll connect. Uh, we'll connect again. Thank you so much. Thank you.